Hello, I'm Jasmine, and you're listening to Lifesavers, the podcast by the RNLI, the charity that saves lives at sea. In this series, I'll be delving into the lives of different volunteers who are on call 24 hours a day to save someone in trouble by the water. They're ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and I want to find out exactly what it's like for them to be a lifesaver, and why they do it. Plus, they'll be sharing the story of the rescue they'll always remember on the day they saved a life. We managed to get these two casualties and pull them into the boat. And I remember one of them was so cold, it looked like he had a beard of blue. He was just so frozen and he couldn't speak. It was really, really, really chilly. For our first episode, I'm speaking to the amazing Anna Heslop from Colour Coats. She volunteered with the RNLI after accidentally saving someone's life when she was just 17, and now she's a woman of all trades. She's a crew member and a full-time face-to-face fundraising manager, so she helps to keep people safe on the beach while raising vital donations to keep the charity running. And if that wasn't enough, she also volunteers to be a relief lifeboat crew member at Humber Lifeboat Station. She can be called out to help them at any time to provide urgent cover. We talk about everything from being the only woman on a lifeboat crew to how volunteering is like having an extended family all around the country. So now, over to Anna. I had no idea um, what the RNLI was until I actually got involved. So I, it sounds a bit silly, accidentally rescued someone when I was 17. So I was walking my dogs along the promenade near our house. We'd just moved a little bit closer to the coast. And this young lad, he was around 14 years old, he jumped in the sea and he got swept away. And I managed to run around the prom, throw him a life ring. And I'd seen too many in-betweeners episodes, so I asked for sea police instead of <laughs> instead of the coast guard. But anyway, they sent Colour Coat's lifeboat round and they saved his life. And they rang me the next day and said, oh, thank you very much. The, like, the boy's all right. Would you like to come down for a visit? So me and my friends went down and when we were getting shown round, they said they kept saying the guys and the lads and the men. And I asked if they had any women, and they said no. So me being stubborn, seventeen-year-old, decided to come down and give it a go, and have never left. <laughs> Amazing. How was that sort of stepping into a role in a lifeboat station that is quite male-dominated? Has it ever come up as an issue? It was quite intimidating at first because I've been raised by a single mom. I've got a sister. I'm around like my grandparents a lot and my grandpa's probably the only guy really who was a male figure in my life well my uncle so I was used to quite a female dominated environment and then to walk into a lifeboat station with 28 very geordie very burly guys was quite intimidating but they were lovely and right from the very start one just said have you ever packed a life jacket before I was like no (laughs) come on and just got me got me stuck in straight away so it was great. Ended up with 28 older brothers. Quite nice. Have you found it's, it's been a challenge at all, like whilst you've been on the crew, being the only female? It does have its challenges, yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's nice to see women coming into the R&Line more, into the crew roles. Um, but it's quite nice to have female friends at other stations and we can just kind of stick together and <laughs> help each other through because, yeah, you need to keep the, the boys in line sometimes. <laughs> What are some of the biggest misconceptions or assumptions you hear if you tell someone that you're a lifeboat crew member? Uh, they often think it's lifeguards. They think we own the helicopters. That's quite, yeah. That comes up quite a lot, so they don't quite understand that. 
the Coast Guard and the RNLI are separate. And that's sometimes quite difficult to explain, especially when you say call 999 and ask for the Coast Guard to get us. So you have to try and kind of explain the, the different workings of how we get called out. And sometimes they think we're paid as well. I think that the the government funds us. So they're normally quite shocked when I say no. It's, well, 95% volunteers and no, it's all funded just by donations. They're normally pretty shocked by that. Being a crew member, you do obviously get called to any kind of situation, any weather condition, day or night. Is there a rescue that sticks out in your mind from all of your years of being a crew member? Um, one that really sticks out for me is it was January 2015. So I'd not been on the crew that long. I mean, we've been on a year and a half, so I must have been 18, 19. I don't know, all the years merged into one. <laughs> but I was young anyway, uh, just a teenager. And we were in the boathouse and we were actually updating all of the walls in the boathouse. It had been training that morning, which on a Sunday morning we normally finish around about 12. Mm. And it just happened to be that we had stayed until half past two to get all these pictures on the walls. And we heard the radio and somebody called Mayday. So that's urgent call. I need help right now. And it was a group of kayakers. Now, when we'd been out that morning, it was flat calm, no wind. Let's see, it was like glass. And within an hour and a half, it had gone up to, well, it was force seven. So a hurricane is force 12. So wow. it's, it's, getting, it's getting pretty nasty by then. And there were seven kayakers who'd got into trouble. Four of them had managed to get themselves out of trouble and into the River Tyne, which is a little bit protected just around the corner from us, really. And three of them had capsized out of their kayaks and couldn't get back in. And we launched the boat straight away and it was pretty rough, pretty rough weather going along. And they were very, very close to the pier and they could easily have been smashed into the pier. And we managed to get a hold of two of them, a pilot vessel from the River Tyne had come out and picked up the third because they heard the Mayday as well. So all vessels just went straight towards the incident. And we managed to get to these two casualties and pulled them into the boat. And I remember one of them was so cold, it looked like he had a beard of blue. He was just f- so frozen and he couldn't speak. It was really, really, really chilly. And we managed to bring them back in safe and then went back for the kayaks we couldn't have risked getting their equipment but the only reason they are alive is because they had all of the right equipment on them they had radios the they had buoyancy aids and it really shook me to think what if they hadn't and you see so many people going out without the right equipment and we see them now every week and it's lovely they're they're all absolutely fine they've got families one of them's had a little a little kid a couple of months ago and it's just lovely to actually see them getting on with their with their lives after that because we had a pretty nasty shout about two months before that where unfortunately someone lost their life and that was a really traumatic shout so it was nice to have a good outcome and well three three lives have been saved which is good how does that feel to know that you actively played a part in saving someone's life especially if you were 17 or 18 years old it's pretty shocking. It's especially when you're doing these shouts. It's you don't really think about it. Um, it's not until you come back and the adrenaline's worn off and you think about what you've done, and you go, "Wow, okay, that's amazing. They're alive." But the thing is, our training is so good. 
any any one of our crew members could have done that that same rescue because we're all trained to such a high standard so I think when I know I've spoken to a few people who've had um awards on vellum and things like that and certificates of thanks and they're really embarrassed about it normally because they're thinking well anyone could have done that job so I think you end up with quite a lot of humble people in in other crew members I've spoken to because yeah the true we're very lucky to have such good training it's so funny you say that that people think that anyone could do it because the reality is I think especially talking about that traumatic rescue I think so many people would just think I can't do that I I can't go and deal with that but you literally just roll up your sleeves and you get on with the job Mm -hmm. is there a way that you all kind of come together and maybe talk about things like that is it kind of easier to process on your own or with with our crew um so we have a a senior helm um at colour coats and he's he'll normally go around and have a quiet word with everybody individual individually but after that night we normally have dinner together after training on a Wednesday night and that night every single person from the lifeboat station turned up people who hadn't been down for quite quite a while or everyone came down and just sat around and you just keep an eye on everybody because you don't know how people are going to react after those situations I know after that one my family was pretty shaken up because my mum had been in the boathouse and she'd heard the full radio um, calls going on and there'd been a, an accidental radio crossover and and the casualty was female and said have you got visual of your crew member meaning one of our crew members who'd gone round the back onto the pier and was safe and in the radio crossover it came up with she's face down in the water I was the only female on the shout and my mum heard that so with that we actually had the families come come to the pub and eat with us as well and Sounds like an extended family. It is. You end you end up with a lot of brothers, sisters, aunties, <laughs> uncles, all sorts. So it sounds like you actually get so much more out of being a crew member than just going to help people, which is an incredible thing anyway, but it sounds like you obviously you, you do get an extended family and you get to learn all these other new skills. Is there anything like in particular that you've really taken away from it? Definitely like what you're saying about extended family. Like you end up with such it's a just a whole new community that you yeah. end up with and um I actually went with my other half to another station I, I visit all the stations and you walk in and they greet you like your old family or something I've never met the people <laughs> and you just walk in and they're yeah you just sit and have a cup of tea and you can you've always got something to talk about so no matter where you go in the country if it's coastal you're pretty much gonna have someone to chat to which is is really nice. Oh, should we just pop into the lifeboat station and say hi? Um, but also the confidence boost as well that you get from it because you're doing some extraordinary things and you're constantly learning and yeah, it's just it's a big confidence builder and like you say, learning all these different skills as well. I would not normally think at 18 I'd be able to <laughs> do half the stuff I was doing. So yeah, it's given me it's given me a lot. Speaking as well of kind of going to different stations, obviously you volunteered to be a relief crew member at a different lifeboat station other than Colour Coats in your hometown. What kind of was the, the kind of the strive to go and challenge yourself again and do something and help out another community? So the lifeboat station I went to was Humber Lifeboat Station. So there's only, there's only two full-time stations in the country, so Humber and Tower. And I've I'd never been down to Humber before, and it was actually one of my friends who's on Scarborough crew 
emailed me and said, oh, Humber are looking for relief crew. I thought, oh, why not? I'll drop them an email and, and just say, and Spanish, the coxswain down there came straight back to me. Yep, yeah, okay. I'll see you on Monday morning at eight o'clock. This was Saturday night, so I had a quick turnaround. But I don't know, I just thought it was just a new challenge. They needed relief crew. I'd just finished my degree. I was available at the time. And I thought, do you know what? Why not? I'm going to go down. And I, I said to him, I can't really offer much. I said, but I'm a casualty carer, so first aid trained and I'm willing to learn. And he said, yep, come down. And it's a fantastic place. It's a great learning station. And I thought I knew lifeboating before I went there. And then it was just to the extreme. <laughs> but yeah, it was one of the best experiences. Because it means to be a, re- a relief crew member, it does mean, doesn't it, that you can actually be called out to any station for any kind of period of time that they might need you. Mm-hmm. And have you been there for like long stints of time? I was actually full-time relief crew from mid-January to April. So they do, how they work is they've got Blue Watch and Red Watch. Six days on, six days off. And I did the full Red Watch shift between January and April. So yeah, six days on, six days off, the full-time. Um which was was great, except from being there during the Beast from the East. That was <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was an experience. And you said um, casualty care was obviously a, a skill that you could have brought to Humber at that time. Is that something that you'd had any experience of before you became a crew member, or is it something that you learned? No, I'd done very, very, very minor first aid in Girls Brigade when I was a child, and other than that, nothing at all. But yeah, the casualty care courses are fantastic. I'm quite adamant that my little niece and nephew are going to learn it from a young age because it's just it's just a great skill. I Definitely. wouldn't think that if if I was walking down the street with my gran or something and something happened to her, I'd like to think I could actually do something to help. Mm. And I think it's just a great skill for people to to have, knowing how to look after others if they're in need of it. So do you think you're still the same person that you were when you were 17 or 18 walking your dogs on the promenade before you knew the RNLI? For want of better words, I'm much more gobby now. <laughs> That's having to stand up to 29, <laughs> 29 guys. Um, no, like I'd say I've got so much more confidence now. Uh, I'm much more driven than I was because when I was 17, I was just more, oh, I'll finish my A-levels and then not really sure what I want to do, but because I now work and volunteer for the RNLI, it's given me such a such a focus, mm. and I love it so much. And I don't know what I've been, what I would have been doing if I'd not come into this. I think it it helps you grow up quite quickly. I know my first year of university was quite difficult because um, compared to a lot of other eighteen year olds, I'd matured quite quickly because I was around a lot older people. Mm. And dealing with situations that 18-year-olds wouldn't normally deal with. Yeah, that kind of put me out of balance with with the age group. How did you still kind of feel like you were an 18-year-old away from the lifeboat station? Um, It's when I go away. (laughs) When I go away, I just have to let loose when I'm actually away from home. Uh, So I go and a few of my friends were at university in different places. So I go and visit them for a weekend and it meant I was away from the pager. Because, I mean, when you're at home, you go in the shower... It's a simple thing. You go in the shower, you're lying your clothes out on the floor because if you get called out when you're in the shower, you just need to jump straight into them. Same if you've got bed. You need to know where your coat is. It's just in the back of your mind. Yeah. So it's just quite nice to come away and yeah. switch off even for like two days. I still do that now. And 
What do you want to do next? So whether it's in the RNLI or whether it's outside of work? Well, I only started full-time like work with the RNLI in May. I want to try and do a good job of that. <laughs> and in your full-time job, because you're a face-to-face fundraising manager, aren't you? Yeah. What does that involve? Uh, so I'm face-to-face fundraising manager for the North East. So I cover from Arbroath up in Scotland all the way down to Skegness. And we encourage people to become members of the RNLI. And we give out safety messages. I normally have a team of 12 who cover the summer months. And they'll go out on the beaches and engage with members of the public. Because crews don't get their chance all the time to speak to members of the public. So it's quite nice that we've got people going out there and having that chat and telling people how amazing the charity is. Which is good. It's a really rewarding job. Do you find it quite easy to kind of switch roles from being face-to-face fundraising manager to a crew member? Yeah, I, I do. There's quite a lot of crossover because uh, when I'm talking to my fundraisers, I can just say, look, this is exactly what we're, what we're fundraising for. And I've always got people to introduce them to because crew friends up and down the country, right? OK, look, they've just done this shout. Come and, come and chat to them and then you can pass that on to members of the public. I just love it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a great thing to get involved in. And and can anyone do it? Anyone can do it. You just you have to be over the age of 17 um, and live close enough to a lifeboat station. But, I mean, seeing that, Humber opened up their volunteer programme and they have some volunteer crew members. One of them lives in Leeds and he's always wanted to be on the lifeboat crew, but he works at the airport there. So he wasn't able to go. And when they opened this up, he's now from inland, but he goes down and does, does some shifts. So... See if anyone's interested in it, then have a look into it because it's a great, it's a great thing to do. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much to Anna. I absolutely love chatting with her. And if you enjoyed it too, it would mean so much to us if you could give us a five star rating on iTunes. It will really help other people find our series and hear our stories. If you've been inspired by Anna, why not find out how you can become a lifesaver too? From giving a donation or even finding out how you can volunteer by visiting rnli.org forward slash lifesavers podcast. The RNLI is completely reliant on the generosity of the public. They don't receive any government funding, so every rescue is powered by the incredible support of people like you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.